Welcome to Words Matter with Katie Barlow and Joe Lockhart. This is the Words Matter Library. Welcome to a special edition of the Words Matter Library. The document at the center of the impeachment inquiry by the House of Representatives is a whistleblower complaint filed by a member of the intelligence community. It is an important document and the future of the American presidency may well hang in the balance. Thanks to our friends at Penguin Random House Audio, we now have an audio version. So here it is in its entirety, the whistleblower complaint. Take a listen. Unclassified. August 12, 2019. The Honorable Richard Burr, Chairman, Select Committee on Intelligence, United States Senate. The Honorable Adam Schiff, Chairman, Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence, United States House of Representatives. Dear Chairman Burr and Chairman Schiff, I'm reporting an urgent concern in accordance with the procedures outlined in 50 U.S.C. 3033-K5A. This letter is unclassified when separated from the attachment. In the course of my official duties, I've received information from multiple U.S. government officials that the President of the United States is using the power of his office to solicit interference from a foreign country in the 2020 U.S. election. This interference includes, among other things, pressuring a foreign country to investigate one of the president's main domestic political rivals. The president's personal lawyer, Mr. Rudolph Giuliani, is a central figure in this effort. Attorney General Barr appears to be involved as well. Over the past four months, more than half a dozen U.S. officials have informed me of various facts related to this effort. The information provided herein was relayed to me in the course of official interagency business. It is routine for U.S. officials with responsibility for a particular regional or functional portfolio to share such information with one another in order to inform policymaking and analysis. I was not a direct witness to most of the events described. However, I found my colleagues' accounts of these events to be credible because in almost all cases, multiple officials recounted fact patterns that were consistent with one another. In addition, a variety of information consistent with these private accounts has been reported publicly. I am deeply concerned that the actions described below constitute a serious or flagrant problem, abuse, or violation of law or executive order that does not include differences of opinions concerning public policy matters, consistent with the definition of an urgent concern in 50 U.S.C. 3033-K5G. I'm therefore fulfilling my duty to report this information through proper legal channels to the relevant authorities. I am also concerned that these actions pose risks to U.S. national security and undermine the U.S. government's efforts to deter and counter foreign interference in U.S. elections. To the best of my knowledge, The entirety of this statement is unclassified when separated from the classified enclosure. I have endeavored to apply the classification standards outlined in Executive Order 13526 and to separate out information that I know or have reason to believe is classified for national security purposes. If a classification marking is applied retroactively, I believe it is incumbent upon the classifying authority to explain why such a marking was applied and to which specific information it pertains. 1. 
the 25 July presidential phone call. Early in the morning of 25 July, the president spoke by telephone with Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky. I do not know which side initiated the call. This was the first publicly acknowledged call between the two leaders since a brief congratulatory call after Mr. Zelensky won the presidency on 21 April. Multiple White House officials with direct knowledge of the call informed me that, after an initial exchange of pleasantries, the president used the remainder of the call to advance his personal interests. Namely, he sought to pressure the Ukrainian leader to take actions to help the president's 2020 re-election bid. According to the White House officials who had direct knowledge of the call, the president pressured Mr. Zelensky to, inter alia, initiate or continue an investigation into the activities of former Vice President Joseph Biden and his son, Hunter Biden. Assist in purportedly uncovering that allegations of Russian interference in the 2016 U.S. presidential election originated in Ukraine, with a specific request that the Ukrainian leader locate and turn over servers used by the Democratic National Committee, DNC, and examined by the U.S. cybersecurity firm CrowdStrike, which initially reported that Russian hackers had penetrated the DNC's networks in 2016. And meet or speak with two people the president named explicitly as his personal envoys on these matters, Mr. Giuliani and Attorney General Barr, to whom the president referred multiple times in tandem. One, apart from the information in the enclosure, it is my belief that none of the information contained herein meets the definition of classified information outlined in Executive Order 13526, Part 1, Section 1.1. There is ample open source information about the efforts I describe below, including statements by the President and Mr. Giuliani. In addition, based on my personal observations, there is discretion with respect to the classification of private comments by or instructions from the President, including his communications with foreign leaders. Information that is not related to U.S. foreign policy or national security, such as the information contained in this document, when separated from the enclosure, is generally treated as unclassified. I also believe that applying a classification marking to this information would violate Executive Order 13526, Part 1, Section 1.7, which states, In no case shall information be classified, continue to be maintained as classified, or fail to be declassified in order to, one, conceal violations of law, inefficiency, or administrative error, or two, prevent embarrassment to a person, organization, or agency. Two, it is unclear whether such a Ukrainian investigation exists. See footnote number seven for additional information. Three, I do not know why the president associates these servers with Ukraine. See, for example, his comments to Fox News on 20 July. Quote, and Ukraine, take a look at Ukraine. How come the FBI didn't take this server? Podesta told him to get out. He said, get out. So how come the FBI didn't take the server from the DNC? The president also praised Ukraine's prosecutor general, Mr. Yuri Litsenko, and suggested that Mr. Zelensky might want to keep him in his position. Note, starting in March 2019, Mr. Litsenko made a series of public allegations, many of which he later walked back, about the Biden family's activities in Ukraine, 
Ukrainian officials' purported involvement in the 2016 U.S. election, and the activities of the U.S. Embassy in Kiev. See Part 4 for additional context. The White House officials who told me this information were deeply disturbed by what had transpired in the phone call. They told me that there was already a discussion ongoing with White House lawyers about how to treat the call because of the likelihood, in the officials' retelling, that they had witnessed the president abuse his office for personal gain. The Ukrainian side was the first to publicly acknowledge the phone call. On the evening of 25 July, a readout was posted on the website of the Ukrainian president that contained the following line, translation from original Russian language readout. Donald Trump expressed his conviction that the new Ukrainian government will be able to quickly improve Ukraine's image and complete the investigation of corruption cases that have held back cooperation between Ukraine and the United States. Aside from the above-mentioned cases purportedly dealing with the Biden family and the 2016 U.S. election, I was told by White House officials that no other cases were discussed. Based on my understanding, there were approximately a dozen White House officials who listened to the call, a mixture of policy officials and duty officers in the White House Situation Room, as is customary. The officials I spoke with told me that participation in the call had not been restricted in advance, because everyone expected it would be a routine call with a foreign leader. I do not know whether anyone was physically present with the president during the call. In addition to White House personnel, I was told that a State Department official, Mr. T. Ulrich Breckbuhl, also listened in on the call. I was not the only non-White House official to receive a readout of the call. Based on my understanding, multiple State Department and intelligence community officials were also briefed on the contents of the call, as outlined above. 2. Efforts to restrict access to records related to the call. In the days following the phone call, I learned from multiple U.S. officials that senior White House officials had intervened to lock down all records of the phone call, especially the official word-for-word -word transcript of the call that was produced, as is customary, by the White House Situation Room. This set of actions underscored to me that White House officials understood the gravity of what had transpired in the call. White House officials told me that they were directed by White House lawyers to remove the electronic transcript from the computer system in which such transcripts are typically stored for coordination, finalization, and distribution to cabinet-level officials. Instead, the transcript was loaded into a separate electronic system that is otherwise used to store and handle classified information of an especially sensitive nature. One White House official described this act as an abuse of this electronic system because the call did not contain anything remotely sensitive from a national security perspective. I do not know whether similar measures were taken to restrict access to other records of the call, such as contemporaneous handwritten notes taken by those who listened in. 3. Ongoing Concerns on 26 July, a day after the call, U.S. Special Representative for Ukraine Negotiations, Kurt Volker, visited Kiev and met with President Zelensky and a variety of Ukrainian political figures. Ambassador Volker was accompanied in his meetings by U.S. Ambassador to the European Union, Gordon Sondland. 
Based on multiple readouts of these meetings recounted to me by various U.S. officials, Ambassadors Volker and Sunland reportedly provided advice to the Ukrainian leadership about how to navigate the demands that the president had made of Mr. Zelensky. I also learned from multiple U.S. officials that, on or about 2 August, Mr. Giuliani reportedly traveled to Madrid to meet with one of President Zelensky's advisors, Andrei Yermak. The U.S. officials characterized this meeting, which was not reported publicly at the time, as a direct follow-up to the president's call with Mr. Zelensky about the cases they had discussed. Separately, multiple U.S. officials told me that Mr. Giuliani had reportedly privately reached out to a variety of other Zelensky advisors, including Chief of Staff Andrei Bodin and Acting Chairman of the Security Service of Ukraine, Ivan Bakanov. I do not know whether those officials met or spoke with Mr. Giuliani, but I was told separately by multiple U.S. officials that Mr. Yermak and Mr. Bakanov intended to travel to Washington in mid-August. On 9 August, the president told reporters, quote, I think President Zelensky is going to make a deal with President Putin, and he will be invited to the White House, and we look forward to seeing him. He's already been invited to the White House, and he wants to come, and I think he will. He's a very reasonable guy. He wants to see peace in Ukraine, and I think he will be coming very soon, actually. 4. Circumstances leading up to the 25 July presidential phone call. Beginning in late March 2019, a series of articles appeared in an online publication called The Hill. In these articles, several Ukrainian officials, most notably Prosecutor General Yuri Lutsenko, made a series of allegations against other Ukrainian officials and current and former U.S. officials. Mr. Lutsenko and his colleagues alleged, inter alia, 4. In a report published by the Organized Crime and Corruption Reporting Project, OCCRP, on 22 July, two associates of Mr. Giuliani reportedly traveled to Kiev in May 2019 and met with Mr. Bakanov and another close Zelensky advisor, Mr. Zerhey Shafir. Mr. Litsenko and his colleagues alleged, inter alia, that they possessed evidence that Ukrainian officials, namely head of the National Anti-Corruption Bureau of Ukraine, Artem Sitnik, and member of parliament, Sergei Lyshenko, had interfered in the 2016 U.S. presidential election, allegedly in collaboration with the DNC and the U.S. Embassy in Kiev. 5. Mr. Sitnik and Mr. Lyshenko are two of Mr. Lutsenko's main domestic rivals, Mr. Lutsenko has no legal training and has been widely criticized in Ukraine for politicizing criminal probes and using his tenure as prosecutor general to protect corrupt Ukrainian officials. He has publicly feuded with Mr. Sitnik, who heads Ukraine's only competent anti-corruption body, and with Mr. Lyshenko, a former investigative journalist who has repeatedly criticized Mr. Lutsenko's record. In December 2018, a Ukrainian court upheld a complaint by a member of parliament, Mr. Borislav Rosenblatt, who alleged that Mr. Sitnik and Mr. Lyshenko had interfered in the 2016 U.S. election by publicizing a document detailing corrupt payments made by former Ukrainian president Viktor Yanukovych before his ouster in 2014. Mr. Rosenblatt had originally filed the motion in late 2017, 
after attempting to flee Ukraine amid an investigation into his taking of a large bribe. On 16 July 2019, Mr. Lyshenko publicly stated that a Ukrainian court had overturned the lower court's decision. Mr. Lutsenko and his colleagues alleged that the U.S. Embassy in Kiev, specifically U.S. Ambassador Marie Yovanovitch, who had criticized Mr. Lutsenko's organization for its poor record on fighting corruption, had allegedly obstructed Ukrainian law enforcement agencies' pursuit of corruption cases, including by providing a do-not-prosecute list, and had blocked Ukrainian prosecutors from traveling to the United States, expressly to prevent them from delivering their evidence about the 2016 U.S. election. 6. Mr. Lutsenko later told Ukrainian news outlet The Babel on 17 April that Ambassador Yovanovitch had never provided such a list, and that he was, in fact, the one who requested such a list and that former Vice President Biden had pressured former Ukrainian President Petro Poroshenko in 2016 to fire then-Ukrainian Prosecutor General Viktor Shokin in order to quash a purported criminal probe into Burisma Holdings, a Ukrainian energy company on whose board the former Vice President's son, Hunter, sat. 7. Mr. Lutsenko later told Bloomberg on 16 May that former Vice President Biden and his son were not subject to any current Ukrainian investigations, and that he had no evidence against them. Other senior Ukrainian officials also contested his original allegations. One former senior Ukrainian prosecutor told Bloomberg on 7 May that Mr. Shokin, in fact, was not investigating Burisma at the time of his removal in 2016. In several public comments, Mr. Lutsenko also stated that he wished to communicate directly with Attorney General Barr on these matters. 8. See, for example, Mr. Lutsenko's comments to The Hill on 1 and 7 April, and his interview with The Babel on 17 April, in which he stated that he had spoken with Mr. Giuliani about arranging contact with Attorney General Barr. 9. In May, Attorney General Barr announced that he was initiating a probe into the origins of the Russia investigation. According to the above-referenced OCCRP report, 22 July, two associates of Mr. Giuliani claimed to be working with Ukrainian officials to uncover information that would become part of this inquiry. In an interview with Fox News on 8 August, Mr. Giuliani claimed that Mr. John Durham, whom Attorney General Barr designated to lead this probe, was, quote, spending a lot of time in Europe because he was investigating Ukraine. I do not know the extent to which, if at all, Mr. Giuliani is directly coordinating his efforts on Ukraine with Attorney General Barr or Mr. Durham. The allegations of Mr. Lutsenko came on the eve of the first round of Ukraine's presidential election on 31 March, by that time, Mr. Lutsenko's political patron, President Poroshenko, was trailing Mr. Zelensky in the polls and appeared likely to be defeated. Mr. Zelensky had made known his desire to replace Mr. Lutsenko as prosecutor general. On 21 April, Mr. Poroshenko lost the runoff to Mr. Zelensky by a landslide. See enclosure for additional information. It was also publicly reported that Mr. Giuliani had met on at least two occasions with Mr. Lutsenko, once in New York in late January, and again in Warsaw in mid-February.
In addition, it was publicly reported that Mr. Giuliani had spoken in late 2018 to former Prosecutor General Shokin in a Skype call arranged by two associates of Mr. Giuliani. 10. See, for example, the above-referenced articles in Bloomberg, 16 May, and OCCRP, 22 July. On 25 April, in an interview with Fox News, the president called Mr. Litsenko's claims big and incredible, and stated that the attorney general would want to see this. On or about 29 April, I learned from U.S. officials with direct knowledge of the situation that Ambassador Jovanovich had been suddenly recalled to Washington by senior State Department officials for consultations and would most likely be removed from her position. Around the same time, I also learned from a U.S. official that associates of Mr. Giuliani were trying to make contact with the incoming Zelensky team. 11. I do not know whether these associates of Mr. Giuliani were the same individuals named in the 22 July report by OCCRP, referenced above. On 6 May, the State Department announced that Ambassador Yovanovitch would be ending her assignment in Kiev as planned. However, several U.S. officials told me that, in fact, her tour was curtailed because of pressure stemming from Mr. Litsenko's allegations. Mr. Giuliani subsequently stated in an interview with a Ukrainian journalist, published on 14 May, that Ambassador Yovanovitch was, quote, removed because she was part of the efforts against the president. On 9 May, the New York Times reported that Mr. Giuliani planned to travel to Ukraine to press the Ukrainian government to pursue investigations that would help the president in his 2020 re-election bid. In his multitude of public statements leading up to and in the wake of the publication of this article, Mr. Giuliani confirmed that he was focused on encouraging Ukrainian authorities to pursue investigations into alleged Ukrainian interference in the 2016 U.S. election and alleged wrongdoing by the Biden family. 12. See, for example, Mr. Giuliani's appearance on Fox News on 6 April and his tweets on 23 April and 10 May. In his interview with the New York Times, Mr. Giuliani stated that the president, quote, basically knows what I'm doing, sure, as his lawyer. Mr. Giuliani also stated, quote, we're not meddling in an election, we're meddling in an investigation, which we have a right to do. There's nothing illegal about it. Somebody could say it's improper, and this isn't foreign policy. I'm asking them to do an investigation that they're doing already, and that other people are telling them to stop. And I'm going to give them reasons why they shouldn't stop it, because that information will be very, very helpful to my client, and may turn out to be helpful to my government. On the afternoon of 10 May, the president stated in an interview with Politico that he planned to speak with Mr. Giuliani about the trip. A few hours later, Mr. Giuliani publicly canceled his trip, claiming that Mr. Zelensky was, quote, surrounded by enemies of the U.S. president and of the United States. On 11 May, Mr. Lutsenko met for two hours with President-elect Zelensky, according to a public account given several days later by Mr. Lutsenko. Mr. Lutsenko publicly stated that he had told Mr. Zelensky that he wished to remain as prosecutor general. 
Starting in mid-May, I heard from multiple U.S. officials that they were deeply concerned by what they viewed as Mr. Giuliani's circumvention of national security decision-making processes to engage with Ukrainian officials and relay messages back and forth between Kiev and the president. These officials also told me that State Department officials, including Ambassadors Volker and Sunland, had spoken with Mr. Giuliani in an attempt to contain the damage to U.S. national security, and that Ambassadors Volker and Sunland during this time period met with members of the new Ukrainian administration, and in addition to discussing policy matters, sought to help Ukrainian leaders understand and respond to the differing messages they were receiving from official U.S. channels, on the one hand, and from Mr. Giuliani, on the other. During this same time frame, multiple U.S. officials told me that the Ukrainian leadership was led to believe that a meeting or phone call between the president and President Zelensky would depend on whether Zelensky showed willingness to play ball on the issues that had been publicly aired by Mr. Lutsenko and Mr. Giuliani. Note, this was the general understanding of the state of affairs as conveyed to me by U.S. officials from late May into early July. I do not know who delivered this message to the Ukrainian leadership, or when. See enclosure for additional information. Shortly after President Zelensky's inauguration, it was publicly reported that Mr. Giuliani met with two other Ukrainian officials. Ukraine's special anti-corruption prosecutor, Mr. Nazar Kolodnitsky, and a former Ukrainian diplomat named Andrei Teleshenko. Both Mr. Kolodnitsky and Mr. Teleshenko are allies of Mr. Lutsenko, and made similar allegations in the above-mentioned series of articles in The Hill. On 13 July, the president told ABC's George Stephanopoulos that he would accept damaging information on his political rivals from a foreign government. On 21 June, Mr. Giuliani tweeted, New Prez of Ukraine still silent on investigation of Ukrainian interference in 2016 and alleged Biden bribery of Poroshenko. Time for leadership and investigate both if you want to purge how Ukraine was abused by Hillary and Clinton people. In mid-July, I learned of a sudden change of policy with respect to U.S. assistance for Ukraine. See enclosure for additional information. Enclosure. Classified Appendix. August 12, 2019. You. Classified Appendix. You. Supplementary classified information is provided as follows. You. Additional information related to Section 2. According to multiple White House officials I spoke with, the transcript of the president's call with President Zelensky was placed into a computer system managed directly by the National Security Council, NSC, Directorate for Intelligence Programs. This is a standalone computer system reserved for code word level intelligence information, such as covert action. According to information I received from White House officials, some officials voiced concerns internally that this would be an abuse of the system and was not consistent with the responsibilities of the Directorate for Intelligence Programs. According to White House officials I spoke with, this was not the first time under this administration that a presidential transcript was placed into this code word level system solely for the purpose of protecting politically sensitive rather than national security sensitive information. You. 
Additional information related to Section 4. Information relating to classified intelligence community reporting and analysis, redacted. I would like to expand upon two issues mentioned in Section 4 that might have a connection with the overall effort to pressure the Ukrainian leadership. As I do not know definitively whether the below-mentioned decisions are connected to the broader efforts I describe, I have chosen to include them in the classified annex. If they indeed represent genuine policy deliberations and decisions formulated to advance U.S. foreign policy and national security, one might be able to make a reasonable case that the facts are classified. I learned from U.S. officials that, on or around 14 May, the president instructed Vice President Pence to cancel his planned travel to Ukraine to attend President Zelensky's inauguration on 20 May. Secretary of Energy Rick Perry led the delegation instead. According to these officials, it was also made clear to them that the president did not want to meet with Mr. Zelensky until he saw how Zelensky chose to act in office. I do not know how this guidance was communicated or by whom. I also do not know whether this action was connected with the broader understanding described in the unclassified letter that a meeting or phone call between the president and President Zelensky would depend on whether Zelensky showed willingness to play ball on the issues that had been publicly aired by Mr. Lutsenko and Mr. Giuliani. On 18 July, an Office of Management and Budget, OMB official, informed departments and agencies that the president, earlier that month, had issued instructions to suspend all U.S. security assistance to Ukraine. Neither OMB nor the NSC staff knew why this instruction had been issued. During interagency meetings on 23 July and 26 July, OMB officials again stated explicitly that the instruction to suspend this assistance had come directly from the president, but they still were unaware of a policy rationale. As of early August, I heard from U.S. officials that some Ukrainian officials were aware that U.S. aid might be in jeopardy. But I do not know how or when they learned of it. Thank you for listening to Words Matter. For more information on our show and hosts, visit wordsmattermedia.com. Please rate and review Words Matter on Apple Podcasts and other podcast providers.